This Week in Startups is brought to you by Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of software that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever, and right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. Embroker. The Embroker Startup Insurance Program helps startups secure the most important types of insurance at a lower cost and with less hassle. Save up to 20% off of traditional insurance today at Embroker.com slash twist. While you're there, get an extra 10% off by using offer code twist. And... Our crowd helps you invest early in pre-IPO companies alongside professional VCs. If you're interested in investing, you can join our crowd for free at OurCROWD.com slash twist. Hey everybody, welcome to this week in startups. Super excited about today's guest because we're not going to be talking about an app today. No, we're not going to be talking about enterprise software today, or venture capital and angel investing. All of those things are great. We talk about them here on This Week in Startups. But I wanted to in 2021, open up the aperture a bit and talk about some bigger topics and how startup companies are trying to take on climate change, right? This is a big topic for us. And if you look at um, what happened during the pandemic, one of the most interesting things that happened was we learned what a world without a bunch of cars spewing carbon into uh, our atmosphere would look like. And lo and behold, people could see mountain ranges they previously couldn't see. You could see the stars at night. The air suddenly got better. And we have the possibility, we have the technology already to be fully on sustainable energy that does not cause global warming and does not cause pollution. One piece of that puzzle that we have stopped using, uh, and we'll get into it with our guest of why we stopped using nuclear energy, fusion, why we stopped pursuing these alternate um, energy solutions is a big question I have. And so today on the program, Bob Mumgard from Commonwealth Fusion Systems is here. Welcome to the program, calling in from Boston. Yes, Bob? Yeah, glad to be here. Okay. Now, uh, you've uh, just recently raised $84 million, and you're on track for a demonstration fusion reactor by 2025. Do I have that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yep. Okay. So explain to the audience what nuclear fusion technology is and what nuclear technology is and why you're pursuing this. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And so, you know, most people have, you know, a complete dependence on fusion. They just don't know it. They, they mm -hmm. depend on the sun, like the way the sun is powered and 99% of the entire universe's energy gets made is through the fundamental process of fusion, where you take light elements, combine them together and release just gobs of energy um, out of that process. And, and so they actually build up all the elements that make like us up. And uh, that process, you know, we've known about it for... Uh, about a hundred years, actually, that that's how the stars worked, but we've never actually harnessed it on Earth. The the process that we we talked about nuclear power that we use on Earth is actually the exact opposite of that. It is taking heavy stuff and splitting it up to lighter stuff through a chain reaction, and that's what we get. You know, about twenty percent of our energy from today. That's that's nuclear power. Um, but there's been a big effort over the last about 50 years, really, to to figure out how to build fusion power. Because if you were to able to, if you're able to do it on Earth, you would have a, a really fundamentally new energy source, something that that was very different than anything that we have so far. And just to be clear, when you are doing a fusion reactor reaction, what is actually happen happening? And does this exist already in the world or are you doing this for the first time? Yeah. Uh, so essentially what you have to do to get a fusion system to work is you have to build basically a star in a bottle. And it's like very sci-fi. It's like how you like, you know, look up in comic books or Spider-Man or, you know, old Keanu Reeves movies. And in order to do that, you have to, to create a machine effectively that 
takes materials, small amounts of fuel that is equally accessible to everyone. It's, it's everywhere. It's basically hydrogens and combines them together at really, really hot temperatures, like, like hotter than the center of the sun, like 10, 10 million, 100 million degrees. And in that process unleashes a lot of energy by converting a tiny bit of mass to energy as the fuel turns into helium. Um, and so we've been researching this for a long time. We understand how it works in the stars. And we actually built a whole bunch of machines on Earth, about, about almost 200 of them, funded by like governments at places like MIT, which is where CFS came from. And we've steadily gotten better and better and better at this, but we've never actually built a machine that will make more power out than it takes to run. So you know, interesting science, but not something that we're going to power the world up with. And, and really what we're seeing now is a generation uh, of startups, including CFS, but also national labs, who are getting close to to going above that line and making a machine that can make more power than in. And, and CFS is is one of those companies that's at, attempting to do that. So, for people who have um, no background in this technology, like myself, the amount of energy it takes to heat the hydrogen is tens of millions of degrees. So you have to power that with some energy source, correct? Is that electricity? Is that kerosene? Is that nuclear reactor? How does one heat that hydrogen? And what you're saying to me is you're spending so much heating it up to create the fusion reaction that you're actually losing energy. Yeah. That's, that's historically what's happened. And, right. you know, and it's actually like the way you heat it up is, is, you know, surprisingly mundane. Like, we heat it up effectively using a, a, a microwave oven. It's just like you, know, you take about 3,000 microwave ovens, maybe a little more, and you gang them together and you, you microwave a grain of rice. You do that for a few seconds. And if you insulate it well enough, if it's, if it's like perfectly insulated, it'll get really, 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 really hot. And if it gets hot enough and it's insulated well enough, uh, it'll actually start to fuse just like it would. And in fact, we do this in particle accelerators all the time. Um, and if you can get it insulated well enough, you can actually make more power from that reaction than it took to heat it. Um, and so you're really, uh, you're, you're building, and when I say more power, like think about, think about it in terms of millions, factors of millions. So in these reactions, you get 200 million times more energy out per fuel in than say burning a hydrocarbon. So that wow. means my entire life, like my entire, my house, my whole thing, like, is like fuel like this big for my entire life. And that's exactly why the stars are still here. Like if the stars were burning coal, like we do today, like the stars would have burnt out after 5,000 years. Like we, we never even have this, but because they're doing fusion, they're billions of years old. And when you said like this amount, you, you held up your hands to essentially the, what would be like a pint glass of beer. Yeah, size. yeah exactly. Since you're from Boston, I'll use an analogy that <laughs> you can yeah, exactly. to. It's like a pint glass, right? It's a, that's the amount of fusion that would have to occur. And so let me ask a really stupid question. When the, the sun has always been amazing to me that it burns in what seems to be such a predictable way that we can have an existence on earth for some millions of years. Uh, how is the sun stable and it doesn't just go boof and burn out <laughs> or explode in a colossal cataclysmic event. It's almost like it's so perfectly designed to send the exact amount of heat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's a good, it's a good question. So actually, I'm a plasma physicist by training. So this is like going back to grad school here. Um, and it's, uh, it's a good question. So the way the stars actually work, uh, is they're in equilibrium by their very nature that the gravity is pulling everything really, really close. And it's basically building its own thick blanket to keep heat mm. in. And at the core, it's getting hot enough and dense enough that fusion actually starts to happen. And that produces heat, which wants to make the whole thing expand. And so the sun, actually, it's not perfectly stable. It actually has cycles where it expands and contracts ever, ever, ever so slightly. And we can actually track those. And, and we do track those things like sun cycles and things. We don't, not quite sure exactly how it all works yet. But those stars are all doing that. And they're, they're running a, a fusion cycle inside their core. And eventually they do run out of fuel and then they explode. And that's a supernova. So you, you know, we, we got to get out of the solar system before, before that happens. Luckily, you know, we have 4 billion years to do that. 
But, you know, four billion years is a long time, but really we got problems to solve like in the next 40 years on Earth um, that will tell us whether or not we even have that opportunity. How stable is what you're doing in creating this fusion reaction? In other words, we have from science fiction, from fantasy, from, <laughs> you know, books and movies and our collective consciousness when we say fusion power, that it is incredibly unstable and that if you screw up, Bob, we all die. Is, <laughs> is this, I mean, you're laughing, but if you screw up, do we all die? Does it leave a giant <laughs> crater? If no, we're no. <laughs> using 3000 microwaves to heat up this hydrogen. What happens if it goes wrong? Yeah, uh, the way to think about it is, you know, people think of like things being really, really hot, right? Like they think about like lava, like you've got, you know, lava, like melting through something. And then that's how, you know, you can depict things. And if you're, you know, Doc Ock or something. But the reality is that the total amount of energy inside this this plasma that, that's in a fusion system is, is only like the same amount of energy in like a pot of boiling water. It, it's actually not much energy. It's just very, very hot. It's like you have a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of mass. It's very, very hot. And so it's, it's less like lava and more like a candle, like in the wind. And literally mm. you can blow it out. So, I mean, if you, the, the way that one of the problems in fusion is it constantly keeps going out. Um, and so you have to really create these, these conditions that are completely not on earth. They're in, they're in space, right? Like stars are in space. You don't, you know, walk through the forest to find a star. So like you have to recreate that on earth, which means it's a, you know, a fairly complicated machine, um, just to enable the life support for it to go. Okay. So when we get back from this quick break, I want to, I want you to describe for the audience what this machine, this fusion reactor would look like and what is the hardware and the components of it in order to make this reaction occur with the right temperature, the right pressure, uh, and the right heating in order to create that reaction we get back on this week in startups. As somebody who's invested in over 250 startups, oh my God, has it been that many? Well, I want to talk to you about a serious pain point that I see all the time with my startups. Too high of a burn. They're just spending too much money and the runway is too short. One of the things that people have spent a ton of money on these days is buying SaaS products. Great idea. Make your company more efficient. But what if you're buying too many? What if you're not using some and then you're wasting all this time integrating them together? Well, there is finally a solution and the solution is Odoo. O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist to get $1,000 in credits. That's right, $1,000 in credits. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of software that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. It's simple, it's modular, and you only pay for what you use and you can just add components as you grow. You can do project management, invoicing, sales, marketing automation, help desk, timesheets, inventory, and so much more. For example, their accounting products are perfect for anyone who upgraded from Excel or QuickBooks, but doesn't want to break the bank with some of the more expensive options out there. And they're going to give you $1,000 right now on your first implementation pack. That's right. Not a joke. They're going to give you $1,000. They really want you to try the product. Odoo.com slash twist. Check it out. Odoo.com slash twist. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. Bob Mumgard is here. He is with Commonwealth Fusion Systems, which is cfs.energy. There's a .energy domain name, apparently. They've raised uh, $84 million in new investment recently. I read about that, and I just thought this would be something amazing to get you on the pod and talk about it. Okay, so we understand what a fusion reaction is sort of it's what occurs in the sun, it requires a massive amount of energy to turn hydrogen and create this reaction. I think I've we're in sync so far, right? Yep. Okay, now explain to me what this reactor is that does this and why it doesn't already exist. If we've done this, we know it exists and we've done various permutations on it. What is this physical um, device going to look like and how far are we away from having it? Yeah. Uh, so the way to think about what this thing is, is it's basically like a magnetic bottle 
So you use very strong magnets to to bottle up the star. And so you know people think it's, it as like a sphere. It's actually you know the other the other thing donuts, right? Like Homer Simpson. Mm-hmm. What can donuts not do? Like one thing donuts do very well is they can make magnetic bottles. And if you build a machine, which is a acronym and you know technical speak called tokamak, but it's by far the most researched thing using a, a magnetic tokamak. bottle. <laughs> yeah, tokamak. Yeah, thanks Russian thing. Uh, but if you if you build one of these and like you can build one of these in university and there's like 155 of these that have been built. Um, it's a magnetic bottle that inside in the donut, sort of the jelly of the donut, like uh, is the plasma. Very, very, very hot. And then it's very, very well insulated. It's compressed by the, the magnets. And we've done this over and over again. And we've gotten better and better and better at it. And if you actually like look at the figure of merits that you need to do for fusion, like how hot you get it or how well insulated it is, we've actually beat Moore's Law and almost all those figures of merit at places like Princeton and places like the National Labs in, in the Bay Area and, and places in, in France and people that do this for a living, you know, entire departments at National Labs that do this. So we've gotten a long way. We've come just from nothing to something that's sitting right below where you would have a, a plasma that would make more fusion power than it takes to heat it. And we've been sort of stuck there for a little while. And and we've been trying to figure out, okay, like, how do we get past that? And really, we only had two options. And one of them was a, an option that was completely closed to us until just recently. And, and that's really where, where CFS comes in. And so... You have this donut-like reactor. It's a giant size. I'm looking at some images online of these. These have been being. These are have been in construction, and we've been working on these for for how many decades? When did this work start? And, and what have we accomplished in these a tokamak, t o k a m a k fusion reactors to date? Yeah. So um, we started them. You know, actually, the Soviets started them. It was a big deal in the, like the the taunt era, right? Cold War. Um, and international exchanges of scientists and, you know, subterfuge and all of the spy stuff. And actually, uh, by the 70s, we had made an international um, science effort to advance these. And we were able to do is to take them from, you know, cold, not insulated plasmas all the way up to the point where they can make just under more power than it takes to run. So they've gone, you know, from sort of like temperature of a flame to temperature of the sun in that mm. amount of time. And and we've now developed all of the understanding of how to make these things work. And it's it's actually like an incredible feat that that physicists and engineers around the world have done, um, all funded by taxpayers and, and the open science sort of um, spirit to be able to build these machines, predict how they work, and actually have them work according to the predictions, which is, you know, when you know you've got something really, really good, like, Let's, we can't like make drugs work according to predictions, but we can actually make 100 million degree plasmas work according to predictions. So we, yeah. we've made 250 of these in the world. And the challenge now is to have the energy that it takes to run one of these be less than the energy coming out of it. That's where we are after 40 or 50 years, 50 years of working on this. Is that yeah, right? That, that's yeah, pretty, pretty accurate. And you know, that's sort of like the point where it goes from being an, an interesting science experiment to like, oh, this could be useful. Um, and, you know, sort of from the bench to to something out in the market. And, you know, it's still got a little ways to go. Like we got we got some more work to do, but it was interesting enough. And the the potential payoff is so big to be able to build an energy source like this. Like, you know, this is a, uh, you know, that, that going back to the pint glass. Right. If every if yeah. every glass of beer powered everyone for their entire life, like we wouldn't need that much beer. Which is sort of sad. Analogy. So you're aiming in 2025 to have one of these that reaches. Is there a term for you know net energy positive? Just to say it in plain language. Yeah, break even. Break even. <laughs> great. So yeah. we're almost at break even, and you have to get us past break even, and then is. You know, just one notch above break even the breakthrough, or is there like you've got to get 10x past break even? 
So if you think about where we've come from, so we've gone from, you know, 13 orders of magnitude, you know, 13 zeros behind the decimal place, almost nothing to just below break even. And we, we got to get above break even and just a little bit beyond that. And, and we now know enough that you can design machines up there. And so I'm sure you've, you've, uh, on what we're doing here, seen the Eater machine, the big, huge machine in France that they're building. That's, that's all the nations of the world basically saying, Hey, let's go build the largest construction project in Europe to get above break even in a tokamak. And the consensus is they can do it, but man, is it big and expensive. And that was really the, the only option we had when we decided to do that. And what, what we're doing at CFS is we found that there's, from a, a technology related to the magnet, I said it was a, a magnetic bottle, we found that you can make it much, much, much smaller, like like factors of like 50 smaller um, by putting in this new type of magnet. And that's what, we're, that's what we're doing now. Got it. So the magnets could be the big unlock here. If we get the magnets right, then maybe it doesn't have to be as big or as costly. Is, is that what happens, exactly. the efficiency? Yep. Yep. It's like now you go from having to build something that's like the size of, you know, an office block to something that, you know, fits on a tennis court. And so this is like, you know, in sort of the tough, think about like tough technology, like hardware based technology. This is the type of breakthrough you look for, right? This is like mm. something where you've got a good established science basis, you know, underpinned by universities. You've got a new technology, you know, that came in that suddenly changes the game, you know, whether that's DNA and fast gene sequencing, right? Like yeah. the, those types of things. And and fusion, in fusion's case, it's we've gotten so far in the science, we have climate change bearing down on us, and we're sitting right below the point where it's useful. And all of a sudden this magnet comes up. And you're like, oh, let's put these things together and let's let's change the scale. And and that's really what led to CFS two years ago. So the ITER Fusion Project, I-T-E-R, is this multi- disciplinary or multi uh, country project in France that's building a giant reactor. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Funded by the, the EU and Japan and Russia and China and India, the United States, Korea. It's basically the industrialized world. And it's uh, according to their website, it is 72% completion to first plasma plasma. What does that mean? Uh, so it's 72% completed to the point where they, they turn it on and they make a plasma inside of it that, that shows the machine works, but they've still got about 10 years to go beyond that before they start to make more power than it takes to run. Got it. If you succeed in making these magnets a magnitude better, 10x better, 100x better, what do you have to do? Twice as good, 50% better? Yeah. So in these machines, like we built so many of them, we understand them well enough to know that the performance goes like the magnetic field to the fourth power. So a huge lever on it. Right. And so even a factor of two, you're talking about, you know, a factor of 16 on the other side. So it, we're aiming for just a factor of two, which was granted a factor of two beyond what people have been working on for a long time. But a new material allowed us to do that. Got it. And they're spending $20 billion on the ITER project? More, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. And so if you succeed in your mission to make the magnets better, you could potentially upgrade the magnets in what they're doing, or they could leverage your technology, or you'll be building, Is is I guess the question is, and you can answer this on the other side of our quick uh, sponsor break, is how many of these, and at what scale, do we need to build them? Will there be one per country? Will there be one per state? Will there be one per city? One per neighborhood? What is the footprint in 20 years of fusion reactors uh, in America and around the world if you succeed when we get back on this week in startups? Hey, everybody, I want to take a minute to thank Imbroker for sponsoring this week in startups and supporting us all year long. What a great company. And it's very simple. You need to have insurance. I don't know how many times I got to talk to you about this. You have to have insurance for your company. It's time to grow up and it's time to save money and to do it online quickly and easily. And brokers technology will let you save a ton of time and a ton of money. Prices are 20% lower and you get better coverage than all these crazy incumbents who are slow. That's not what you want. You want cyber insurance, so if you get hacked, you're covered. You want DNO insurance, directors and officers. You're the officers of the company, not like police officers, officers as in executives, and directors are the people on your board. You need DNO if you're going to have a board, if you're going to have officers in a company, 
company so that if something happens and you get sued, you're going to be covered. And errors and omission insurance is called E&O. This means if you make a mistake and major customers are going to ask for E&O insurance if they want to buy your product. And finally, this employment practices liability, EPL. So you're going to talk to your attorney about cyber, DNO, ENO, and finally EPL. And the best place to get insurance today is that in broker.com slash twist, E-M-B-R-O-K-E-R.com slash twist, where if you use the offer code twist, you will get 10% off. They do a great job. They do many of my companies in broker.com slash twist, get that 10% off using the offer code twist. Hey, everybody, welcome back to this weekend startups. Bob Mumgard is here Commonwealth Fusion Systems CFS energy CFS dot energy. So when we left and we were, we were talking about God, the eater is am I pronouncing that correct eater I T E R that $20 billion project is going on. They're just getting, I guess, they're 70% of the way to having the plasma flowing, <laughs> which means it works. <laughs> You're working on the magnets to make all of these around the world better so if you succeed with your magnets i guess you become the source of magnets or you're making your own proprietary reactors is that the business model here what's the business model for you and then how does it manifest in the real world when you and i are in our 60s or 70s i'm not sure how old you are but uh you know we're 20 years from now 30 years from now is there going to be one of these in everybody's backyard or in everybody's delorean or tesla (laughs) (laughs) or is it going to be like one you know per country or yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, to, to tackle the question of like, what does it mean to, to do it at scale, which is, you know, really what we're talking about here is like, what do you have to do at scale for the energy system? I think, you know, there's some like crazy numbers if you think about it. It's the energy system's the largest market in the world. Like, you know, just oil and gas, publicly traded oil and gas companies, largest in the world, are only a tiny fraction of the entire energy market. And so to to solve climate change, you know, we're talking about replacing trillions and trillions of dollars of energy infrastructure with something, something that doesn't emit where what we have today, we know we have to get rid of it. And so that's the level of market opportunity that, that all of the clean tech sides are, are going after. And what Fusion really allows you to do is you basically can build a machine that's big enough to power like a town. It's not like a machine that's like powered an entire region or, or city. It's like the size of the way we power our stuff today. It's like you go Hmm. and you see a gas plant. It's like, oh, you put a fusion machine there and you get rid of the pipeline and you get rid of the smokestack. And that machine, if you know how to build it, its fuels are are equally accessible to everybody. So it's a machine that makes power from effectively nothing. And so it's like a a complete reimagining of the way we do energy. Like, Like one way to think of it is up till now, we've done energy through like hunter gatherer style. Like we have like Digging rooted around to the ground. You like dig or you like wait to trap the wind or the, or the, or the sun. Right. And what this is, is like, okay, build it. If you got the blueprints and you, and you got the tools to build it, you can build it, you can run it and you get energy. And that's a really, you know, it's like, why is fusion in all the sci-fi? It's Cause that's profound. Um, and what we're trying to do is to, to try to make that, into something that then can be, you know, a product, right? It's not a giant international project, you know, good luck to them. That's great. But it's something that it's not quite like put in your basement, but it's something that you could put into the existing infrastructure as we turn over the the infrastructure to clean energy. And what do you think the timetable is for that? If you were to, you know, bet your life savings on it because you've already bet your career it seems and your entire reputation <laughs> on it. so we might as well ask this question like you're all in on this what is your if we were to pick an over under to a city but one city one city in the world is powered you know whatever hundred thousand people a million people something in that range but let's pick a town a hundred thousand people in a town are powered by a fusion reactor and fusion fusion energy. Am I referring to it properly? Fusion yeah. technology, or is it called nuclear fusion technology? Uh, f- fusion energy is the fusion the energy is the proper way you would yeah. say it. Why do people say nuclear fusion technology? Uh, that's a good question. It's a uh, it's it's a bit redundant, right? Fusion is a nuclear reaction, but it's right. the opposite reaction of the one everyone's used to. So, you know, it's confusing to refer to it as as nuclear often because like nuclear is synonymous with fission, with splitting the atom. It's like 
you know, and we don't refer to, you know, burning something as chemical combustion. So we, we, mm. we call it fossil fuel energy, right? And right. it's fusion energy. So fusion energy, when will a town, if you had to pick an over under, if we we're going to make a bet, a betting line, what year is that? That a million populous city is powered by one of these? That it's a it's a really really good question, and you know if you were to go back even just five years ago and ask that question, the answer would unanimously be ah it's like after twenty fifty, it's like nah twenty sixty somewhere in there. But, Thirty forty years, got it. Three right. or four decades of work. Yeah, but what we see now, and and one of the things that's driving money in the space and then causing the flywheel to accelerate in fusion, is. Uh, that there are legitimate technology approaches that could push that significantly earlier. Is it 2025? No. Is it 2030? Well, if we hit everything right, maybe. Is it 2035? There's some good chances on the table to do that. Um, and so that's that's a, a big change in how people have thought about this technology and, and where you see governments accelerating their investment, passing new legislation about it, where you see how research. How much has to be invested it. if we were to pick a number? Is it a trillion dollars, a hundred billion dollars? What would have to be invested to make that an almost certainty? And nothing in life is certain, but is there a number where you said, hey, if we put a hundred billion or 250 billion or even a trillion dollars or $10 trillion towards this, it's going to happen. Yeah, it's, it's billions, but not tens of billions. So for as little as $10 billion, we could make this a certainty, which then leads me to wonder why are is every government and we're in the middle of a stimulus package spending trillions of dollars and people are spending tens of billions of dollars on solar why are we not just giving 10 teams in america a billion dollars each <laughs> yeah it's a uh well you know first like it's not clear well, are that, we doing that uh we to some extent we are increasing investment and in fact they just at Right before the end of the year, they passed a fusion bill, first time in a long time, that was part of the energy package that said, hey, let's put cost shares in, in competition from federal money going out to try to do basically what we did with SpaceX and Orbital and going building you know rockets. Let's try to do that in fusion um, because there's enough people. There's about 20 companies that are, are doing this. There's about $2 billion of private investment already in the space. So let's let's put a little bit more on there and see where this can go in the short term. Like who's got who's got legs to to take the next step? Where the next step in many cases is is either you know aiming for just above uh, you know breakthrough, like going beyond break even, um, like CFS, or or getting ready to do that um, for other companies. And and so you're seeing that come in both from the private side and from the government side. And it's not clear that you know dumping a hundred billion dollars is a good idea in this space, right? There's only so many trials that you you can do there's only so much so much you can do within reason on on speed um but you know it's at the it's at the starting gate which is interesting because i don't know if you remember this during the obama era uh solyndra tesla they all received you know a couple of billion dollars a couple of hundred million dollars to see if you know we could actually get electric cars on the road and Fisker and Solar, Solyndra and famously all those things went bust. But Elon paid back all those loans early. And if they had been equity, can you imagine if even 1% or 10% of that money was equity versus a loan that would have paid off and the government would have made a profit on it? So our government, at the end of 2020, I understand Trump in the COVID relief put in like $325 million in financing for fusion energy, something very modest. And they're matching those dollars. Is that the idea? They're going to match the dollars? Yeah, so that's that's one idea. Um, and that's the idea that was in the, the fusion bill is that it's it's actually modeled just after, uh, you know, Elon's other play on SpaceX, which is, you know, hey, these companies are trying to do something really hard. If they do it, let's, let's give them, you know, take the receipts and pay them back like half. So, mm. so match on milestone-based reimbursement. Which, you know, is very, very successful. You know, you look at the uh, Crew Dragon dropping off people at the International Space Station. You're like, oh, that is a direct um, result, result. Of, of, of doing yeah. this. And, and, and even in that case, the, the taxes that have been paid on just building those rockets actually paid back what the government spent um, to, to run that program. 
when we get back from this final break, I want to know what uh, country has the best chance of becoming the leader in this space, if not America, France, China, who has the intelligence in terms of people like yourself, colleges like MIT, whatever, I'm not sure where the fusion energy brain trust comes from. I want to know if we are educating enough brain power, because at the end of the day, what I know about startups is you're only as good as your team. I want to know who's got the best funnel of intelligent team members in the world to make fusion happen and to save the goddamn planet when we come back on this week in startups. Do you ever wish that you got to invest in some of the best performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020? I bet you do. Well, our crowd investors did get a chance to invest in many of those amazing IPOs. With our crowd accredited investors can invest directly and easily in startups early before they IPO before they get bought. In fact, our crowd investors have benefited from companies IPOing like, wait for it, Beyond Meat. That's an incredible company. And some of the companies have been acquired by buyers like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Their in-depth due diligence process includes meeting with management teams and a comprehensive vetting of deals they decide to invest in. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in NanoLock Security. This is a company offering IoT, the Internet of Things, cyber protection. This includes billions of low-end devices that other technologies cannot protect. NanoLock is the only device-level protection that has both near-zero power requirements and is operating system agnostic. You can get in early at NanoLock and other unique opportunities at rcrowd.com slash twist. The R Crowd account is free, and you get to read all these great deal memos. Just go to OURCROWD.com slash twist. Okay, let's get back to this amazing episode. Welcome back to This Week in Startups. My mind is blown. Forget about nuclear. Forget about solar. Forget about wind for a second. Fusion is the long game. There is no other solution out there that comes close to this. Correct, Bob? That's what we think, yeah. <laughs> I mean, is there anything when you go and debate you know, energy, you know, after having a couple of pints in Boston with a bunch of brainiacs from Harvard and MIT, whatever. Is there any other technology that somebody says, forget fusion, this is going to be the solution? Or is it not? On everybody universally agrees fusion is the holy grail. Yeah, it's it's in the, the long game, everyone always gets there. It's like, yeah, you know, if you want to take the population of the earth, and you want to put them at the level of sustainability, or the level of energy use, the level of their lifestyle that you can get in the West, and you want to do that sustainably, and you want to recycle everything and make the economy circular, and, and you don't want to ruin the planet, like, that amount of energy is a lot. And mm -hmm. there is, even if you, like, think about, and I'm a big pro-solar person, big pro-wind, even if you think about the, the long game on those, like, eventually, you've got a lot of solar and wind. Uh, and it's sort of at a level that's like, oh, man, that's, that is a lot. Um, so fusion always, everyone always gets there. Eventually it's like, okay, like, you know, SimCity 2000, the final power plant you got was fusion for a reason. It's like, right. that's where it goes. The question is, can you get there soon enough? And like, who's going to get there first? So that leads me to what I've learned about building startups, which is you're only as good as the talent that can join your team. And is that the same in your line of work, fusion energy? And if so, where do fusion energy scientists and entrepreneurs come from? Who is the number one source of those brainiacs? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, so it's an international effort, right? So there's people that are working on this all over the world. Basically, you know, you get to a certain level and, and countries start to invest in this. And so like, you know, China's got a big effort pouring money in. The Europeans are building the largest, um, fusion machine ever attempted. The UK is, is doubling down to get their industry on board with fusion. But really, the United States, you know, we have a really, really fundamental advantage, which is it's not just, you know, fusion brainiacs like people that know how stars work and, and plasma physicists and, and we like those people a lot. But it's also people that know how to build companies and build ecosystems to take mm. those scientific results and as quickly as possible, pull them out and put them into a package that can then be supercharged with finance and with manufacturing and, and going. And, and that I think the U.S. is, is clearly, clearly the leader so far and i think you're seeing it accelerate and you're seeing entities you know like cfs really you know take advantage of the 
people that came before and clean tech, right? You see more and more money coming into clean tech. You see more and more funds that are allocating significant parts of their portfolio to these types of technologies. You're seeing more venture capitalists understanding what it takes to build bits, you know, go from bits to, to, to atoms and, and how to transition that. And you're also seeing talent like coming out of the forges of, of like SpaceX, 30% of CFS is, is SpaceX alumni of some sort, right? You're coming out of companies that have now done this a few times, um, either from the clean tech, you know, back before the recession or from the, the Musk companies in aerospace or, uh, you know, even medical devices and things. You're starting to see a confluence of, of all that happening in the United States. And it's not just infusion. It, it's, in, it's in technologies that are across the energy spectrum. If I'm correct, scientists who understand the fusion reaction are but one component here. You need material science scientists and financiers and people who have figured out how to get raw science, material science, and actually result in a product as well. So it's yeah, not exactly. just about the scientist brainiac. It's also the person who knows how to package this. For you to get a customer, your customer would be a state in the United States, correct? Uh, no, actually, you know, the, if you look at like who buys power plants or who buys power, yeah, you know, it's, who, who it's a that? surprise. Yeah, yeah. Most people don't know where their power comes from. So you have everything from utilities, you know, traditional mm -hmm. like Con Ed, you know, sort of sort of stodgy, which are quasi governance. Or they're, uh, did, they're private companies that are government regulated? Yeah, they're government regulated. And it really depends on where you are. Like if, if you're in the right. Southeast United States, it's heavily government regulated. If you're where I am, it's actually a fairly open market. Mm -hmm. um, you have, you know, private infrastructure investors, big pension funds that own power plants, basically. Um, and you also have people like uh, like Google and Amazon or, or Ford who buy power. Oh. Uh, and so when you see like Google say, okay, we want to go and, and, and be 100% clean energy, like they're out there, you know, writing, underwriting the financing and, and spending the money to get things built uh, that are power plants. Uh, and and then they fact, write a contract to take the power. In, in fact, Google said not only do they want to be carbon neutral, they said they want to be carbon, they want to pay for all the carbon they've used in the history of Google, if I remember correctly, and then they want to be a net, what would it be that they're removing carbon from the atmosphere, <laughs> like on a net basis, yeah. like, so <laughs> yeah, they would exactly. like to be yeah. net positive on that. So in a way, your customer is ultimately going to be those server farms with all of our data on them. And yeah, our Gmail. <laughs> A lot of people don't realize this, but you know, if you're, when you're surfing on your phone, like the power your phone uses is, it's not the power that's coming to, from your charger overnight. The power your phone uses is all those giant data centers. And it's yes. quite a bit of power. And, uh, and it's not going to go down. And same way, you know, you want to recycle, you know, our, our electronics and turn them into new products instead of dumping them in across the ocean. Like, you're going to need a lot of power to do all this. And this is now seen, you know, broadly as we're going to need lots and lots of electricity. We're going to need lots and lots of heat. And we're going to need to do all that. How without far are emissions. you away from selling Google on buying 10 reactors from you? Yeah, it's still a little early for that. You know, like proof is in the pudding. Like, okay, we've been working on this a long time. We talked about how oh, we've been doing this for decades, but we think we're really close. You know, we're, we're the type of people at, at MIT. It's like, okay, well, let's push it across the line. Let's, let's show up somewhere where you can push a button make a star in a bottle that makes more power than it takes to run, gets everything real hot to the point you got to shut it down, pour water on it and cool it off again, and then go again. And at that point, that's the point that you start to say, okay, now let's start to find where we're going to build the first one and, and, and harness that heat uh, and turn it into electricity or I turn it into products. I think that a Google, Facebook, Amazon would love to make uh, an early bet on you and say, hey, I'll, I'll I'll give you $100 million for the first two or whatever. What do you think one of these reactors will cost? You know, the first, I mean, obviously the first one's going to cost billions of dollars in terms of research up until now. And I think the United States, uh, based on a note I have here, has, has put $50 billion into fusion already over 50 years or something. So the first one will cost theoretically $50 billion, but you're going <laughs> to amortize that over you know, 500 of these. So what do you think they'll retail for, you know, to power some giant data center? I'm sure it's de it depends is the answer. But ballpark, are these going to be worth a billion dollars each? And how does that compare to building a nuclear reactor, which 
I think is really what you're up against, right? This is going to be compared to building a solar farm, a wind farm, a nuclear reactor, or one of those. Am I correct? Yeah, and that's ultimately the the beauty, the beautiful part about fusion, right? Is that, or actually all of energy, the beautiful part about all of energy is, you know the metrics, like you build a plant, you add up what it costs to build, you amortize it about how much energy it uses. And, and that's a commodity, you know, it comes out of a wire with electrons. And so the good thing about fusion is, it's a machine that makes power without fuel, and it makes a lot of power out of a relatively small machine. And so when you add it all up, it looks very, very competitive um, if you can get it down the scale that we're aiming to get it. You know, you're still, in these cases, you know, investing the better better part of a billion dollars to build one of these. But that's mm. something that people do all the time. Like, you know, a solar farm, a good utility-scale solar par- farm is a billion dollars. Um, yes. And so this is the, at the in the channel that people are used to doing from a finance, from a procurement, from a building perspective. So they're not going to be shocked when they see your price tag and the 10 cents or 7, 8 cents, 9 cents a kilowatt hour, that nuclear cost, this will be similar uh, or no, much cheaper? Uh, aiming to be cheaper than that. Uh, aiming to be you know below 5 cents a kilowatt hour. So if 5 cents a kilowatt hour happens for fusion and nuclear is currently like 10 cents, I think, and it's going down to nine maybe or eight is the target. And this, and you do five, what does that do to nuclear reactors and solar? And I guess solar and wind would be much more than nuclear? Depends on where you build them. Um, uh, Really depends on where you build them. But the, you know, the really important thing here is that, you know, if you get into the right ballpark, like A, we have to build all of the above. Like, you know, we talked about the trillions and trillions of dollars that, that have to be replaced in infrastructure for fossil fuels. Like, it doesn't matter what fossil fuels cost them or we're not going to let people build them, right? That, mm. So we're going to build something and we're going to build the thing that's most cost effective for the application that's there. So if you're like in the middle of a desert, like, yeah, build solar farms, right? But if you're, you know, outside of a major metropolitan area with a big industry or a data farm or things like that, you need to think about, you know, What's that look like? Is that a gas plant? Well, maybe that's not the right approach anymore. Maybe yeah. that's a fusion plant in the future. Maybe that's so a nuclear coal, plant. So coal, natural gas, they're they're done in our lifetime. 20, 30 years from now, the idea, we're, we're and right now, am I correct that solar and wind and renewables are cheaper to build and we've sort of crossed that Rubicon now? Yeah, we've crossed that Rubicon for, for, for many years. places in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. So... Nobody's building gas power plants and coal plants to, you know, generally speaking, nuclear is kind of frozen. People are scared of building nuclear, but we're going to have a couple of more nuclear plants in the United States is the plan. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. So it'll be a a three horse race if if I'm reading you correct between fusion, nuclear and renewables. And all three of those could be part of the mix, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And and you're already seeing, you know, people people gear up for that um, and figure out what the future of the grid looks like. And it's it's a really exciting time to be in energy. You know, it's like it's an exciting time to be in climate, super impactful. Like you want to do something with your life, like probably, you know, climate sustainability energy is where you it's an area where you can make a really big impact. And then on top of all that, you know, even within energy itself, there's lots of really good ideas. And fusion is, is now in the mix in a way that it just wasn't five years ago. If um, you succeed in building this, one of the biggest offenders for our climate, and you know, this sounds crazy, um, and I think a lot of people don't know this, but there is a very small number of cargo ships on the planet. And they spew, from my understanding, a, a type of fuel that is incredibly dirty to get these containers from China to the EU and to America. And I don't know if there's 30 or 40 of them that are in constant. I just had the CEO of Flexport on who manages like all these, you know, uh, the, the transit of all these shipping containers. Is it on the roadmap to put a fusion reactor on a giant cargo ship and power it? Or is that too insane to put those on over the water? Uh, it's not necessarily like technically the, the, you know, something you would, uh, couldn't do. Like you could figure out if you built the ship big enough and stuff that safety wise, there's no, no reason you, you wouldn't do it. But you know, we have other ways to solve those types of problems. Like, you know, if you use a fusion plant or a, a, a heat, you know, heat source effectively to, to make fuel, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you make fuel, then you can close and make that, that, the whole system zero carbon, 
right? Mm. Like, okay, like that, that's a, a way to do it or make, make hydrogen even, in which case you close the whole thing for zero carbon and the smokestack is water instead of particulates. Um, and so there's, there's so some really good ideas fusion in the system. to then make hydrogen energy. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Fascinating. And, uh, and people are looking into doing that, you know, with renewables and with nuclear and, and, and this is, I think, a, a, an underappreciated fact by a lot of people is, okay, like we're going to electrify everything we can, right? Let's, let's get EVs. Like, you know, G, GM, they're going to stop making gasoline cars in 2035. EVs. Well, just because you have an EV, if you plug it in, where's your electricity come from? Okay, we got to change all that to be zero carbon. Oh, but there's stuff like how to fly on planes, which we don't do right now, but I assume we're going to get back to that. It's like, how do you make that zero carbon? Or how do you make steel zero carbon? All of mm. that stuff, agriculture, you grow your, grow your crops. How do you do zero carbon agriculture? All of that is all right for innovation right now with effectively the largest market pull in history. Amazing. If you look at those container ships, um, you know, they're the size of like six football fields and they produce, I just looked it up, the same amount of pollution as 50 million cars. That is bonkers. You know, when people are looking at them, just to think the amount of mileage of your gas power car is insignificant to getting one of those container ships to flip over to something sustainable. Uh, and so are you super positive that humanity is going to beat climate change with fusion? If we just get fusion right, climate change is a non-issue, correct? You know, I think that fusion is definitely definitely has the chance to do that, but I'm actually super positive on on fixing climate change overall. Like, you know, I'm part of the fusion is part of the mix. I, I'm CEO of a fusion company. Like, we're we're going full speed as hard as we can. But I also don't think it's right to be, you know, fatalistic about this, that mm -hmm. you have a lot of people that are, are like me and like our team who are trying all these different things. And like if with a little bit of creativity around finance, a little bit of, of support, like you're seeing seeing people do things that, that we didn't think were possible before. And, you know, I think that we just, you know, we are in this middle middle of this pandemic and we started the show talking about you know, getting rid of all the cars. Like, okay, we got rid of all the cars, cities got clean, but we only re reduced carbon by 10%. Hmm. But still, it's 10%. Like, <laughs> like That's we only have to do that 10 times digit. over, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like inc inconsequential. And at the same time, you know, we managed to shorten the time to a vaccine through science and through engineering and through finance, through finance, right? Right. Um, and like that is, that's the same type of thing that we need to do for climate. And you're starting to see funds that are just pure climate funds. You're starting to see collectives of entrepreneurs that are doing uh, lower carbon fund, which is an investor in your company. I don't know when he yep. came in, but so your company has raised quarter of a billion dollars to go after this, somewhere correct? There. Yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. You have 100 people, 200 people working there? Uh, I think right now it's about 130. You will not have a commercial product until 15 years from now? 10 years uh, from now? 10 years, well, we won't have the, the Fusion commercial product until 10 years from now. Of course, we're always doing really interesting things, but you know, we're really, we're aiming at the Fusion thing as the primary thing. Got it. So you might have some revenue source between then and now. Uh, Maybe selling some parts to other people building stuff. If I had to, yeah, take a exactly, guess. and yeah, and like you know, parts are useful for other things besides fusion, so things like that. Yeah, and building one of these tokamaks is that what they call tokamak? Close enough. Yeah. No, you say it. I want to make sure I get it right so <laughs> I can say it at a dinner party. <laughs> tokamak. Tokamak. So, is building a tokamak like a huge carbon footprint, or is it just like building a building? Yeah, it's it's effectively it's funny. It's like we you know we're we're getting ready to build our our net energy um, tokamak called Spark, and it's a building. You know, first and foremost, it's a shed. It's like a, a shed like any other shed, and it's full of equipment. That's like kind of a, a weird mix of equipment, but none of it is is crazy specialized um, in terms of you know it's like stuff you find in arc furnaces and things, which you can get. Um, and then at the core of it is this fusion machine that is, you know, a machine that's made out of metal. It's machined out of steel. And it's the same type of people that build rockets. And you know, we got a lot of people mm. that build rockets on staff. And so it's following in that same mold. 
But of course, the energy payout in something like this is so big because the, you know, the fuel that you're talking about, you know, is so inconsequential and the machine makes so much power. You know, it's like, you know, like it's a tennis court that's replacing miles of solar panels. Bonkers. And now, are you going to be putting these on rocket ships as well? And is this how we get to Mars? I've, I've heard Elon talk about fusion being a component of getting to Mars, but it's not required. But it would certainly be a boost, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we we don't typically look that far out. There's actually some fusion companies that you know that, that that's one of the part of their business model. You know, for us, is like the fact that we've got to you know build ten thousand power plants, no matter what they are on Earth, to solve climate change. The fact that fusion could be a part of those ten thousand power plants that's enough for us. If uh, there was one thing that could be done in society that would advance your mission, what would it be? Is it educating more people is it getting you more resources is it regulation what do you need to be removed from your path that will accelerate this because i think we all want to see this accelerated so when you wake up every morning are there things you say if we just didn't have this regulation or if we just had this much more money or if we just had this many more smart people or we just had this raw material is there something there that would accelerate your process or is this just heads down we've got to do the work and it's going to take time yeah, it, you know, it's it's head down, do the work. And then, you know, frankly, there's like death by a thousand cuts, right? So it's like, oh, you know, like regulation is a little bit, it slows you up a little bit here, slows you up a little bit there. And, and then really, you know, the, the big thing on a lot of this is, you know, a really vibrant ecosystem, right? Mm. If you can, if we can build and we're, we're seeing it in the United States, and, and hopefully as we come out of the pandemic, and we see investment in, uh, in recovery, that, you know, these ecosystems of really smart people, interdisciplinary people attacking this problem with the finance behind them, whether that's from government loans or government grants, or that's from, you know, special carve outs of long term, you know, mutual funds and investment funds or venture capital that are willing to, to go um, into longer terms. Like all of that is is all part of this solution, you know, it helps fusion, it also helps other things. Um, and, and that's what we want to see more of. And I think mm. you're starting to see that happen um, even just in the the last year. I mean, like we closed a 80, $85 million round like when when oil was going negative. And one of our investors in that round was was Equinor, the big Norwegian oil company. Um, and so you're, you're seeing people turn to this. Uh, and we'd like to see that accelerate. Interestingly, uh, when, you, when you look at what you're doing, uh, there is a device um, in financial markets of the early investors getting taken out by later stage investors. So I'm curious if you've thought about your decade one investors being the venture industrial complex, but decade two being the people who do SPACs, or private equity, or, you know, those large funds taking out the earlier investors. So if a venture firm has a 10 year uh, horizon for a return, I wonder if you if you're on a 20 year timetable, if in year 10, the investors can turn over, right? Uh, so in our case, like we we even predated this. Our venture funds that are investors in us, people like like Bill Gates's Breakthrough Energy Ventures or Steve Jurvetson's Future Ventures, like those funds are actually built to be twenty year funds. Like the idea of like a ten year venture capital fund is sort of like a a perversion of what venture capital started out as. Like we started out venture capital building chips, right, in Silicon right. Valley Silicon. for a reason, like HP. Building- yeah, building big the machines that made other machines. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and building machines that built other machines. And it sort of migrated into, well, we're going to do software. Apps. And then then apps. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that, that's all great and everything. But, you know, there's still a whole lot out there that, you know, people experience their life, not just you know, sort of in pandemic. It's sort of like only on a computer screen. But you think about the variety of stuff that underpins our, our society and most of that stuff is, is atoms. And most of that stuff is is you know, at some point going from science into a product. And that takes time. It takes head down. It takes a, a coalition around them of of the around the entrepreneur of talent and of regulation and the government and of long term investors and all of that. And and I think you know we've seen that that engine in the United States um, really rev up over and over again. And uh, and and clean tech and infusion is doing it again. When your customers are looking at this uh, and trying to figure out how to contextualize what's about to happen, it turns out like the, I'm trying to think of the second order 
impact of what you're doing. So anytime this technology gets made, there's some things that happen that are either unintended, you know, in a bad way or a great way. If you look at clean water and you look at clean water as a function of energy, right? Like if you just take desalinization, that's energy, right? Taking salt is just energy. You got to get the membrane, you got to use gravity, whatever it is to get the salt out. Then you look at food, food is about water and about energy on the margins, right? There's some energy used, like you mentioned agriculture, but really water is a big part of that. The sun, right? <laughs> and so being able to have greenhouses, um, you know, that have light in a world where energy becomes free or close to free, because that's really what this does, right? Energy is going to get close to free or a magnitude cheaper, half. Yeah, eventually it'll get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper as you get better and better at building it. But, you know, we always try to avoid from free. Like you still have to build stuff. Still breaks be, down. You got to fix you're, it. But you're saying maybe half. Yeah, yeah, you could get, yeah, it could get cheap. And more importantly, like, the externalities, even when they're priced in of carbon and pollution, you know, still don't make it more expensive than we're paying today. Does this mean we could solve water and food security as well as part of energy? So, you know, the way that we describe it, like, you know, the company's got sort of, you know, this collection of really, really fun, bright people have, you know, got a 10 things we know to be true, right? Like, like what do we absolutely know about? And one of them is that in the end, the only two markets are are energy and gray matter, right? Like energy and creativity. And you can basically, with enough energy, you can reduce things to that, right? Mm. That's like the equivalent of your server farm um, running all the, uh, the computers and AI, right? It's like, okay, energy and gray matter. And so, you know... You start to run things out on, oh, yeah, you could desalinate and you could you could make enough water. You could do vertical greenhouses near the point of consumption with LEDs inside to to take Crazy. electricity and turn it. Yeah, you can see lots of things. Like literally whatever the most expensive crop is could be made in vertical farms with energy right at like the source. And then you start thinking about like there are deserts in the world and they could be if you desalinized and we just took some of the water out of the ocean, which there's plenty of. Yeah, of course, desalinizing, you can kill some wildlife and there's brine and there's issues, but it, those are all surmountable. You could take swaths of desert in Africa, in America, in the Southwest, and over time convert them into rainforests or forests. And if I'm correct, and I'm no genius at this, forests are good for global warming. Trees absorb yeah. carbon, correct? Like, this is a good part of, if we had more trees, that'd be better. So... Yeah, you could see like, and this, you know, the more energy that we have that doesn't come with consequences for future generations for the environment, the more we can do and think about these types of things, right? The, you know, we, we want to remove the constraint of sort of searching around and dealing with the, the downsides of producing large, large energy flows, whether that's going out and having to drill in the middle of the ocean, or whether that's the carbon that's in the air. And like, these energy sources, both renewables and, and fusion down the line, allow you to do this at a bigger and bigger scale. Mm. Um, and, and that we think that's not just the solution for, for climate change. You know, that's, that's a sus truly sustainable solution long term. It's crazy when you think about we could be sitting here in 40 years and this entire oil infrastructure that we've built from the cars to the pipelines to the rigs out in the middle of the ocean, they're all going to be deprecated there'll be no use for them there'll be like some vestige of like a world that we our children's children will not even be able to understand like what was that yeah well think Cold about the last oil? <laughs> think about the last the ocean yeah think about the last time that you uh, ever heard of anyone lighting up a whale oil lamp right yeah <laughs> it was probably good that we stopped doing that and wow, you know, just uh, and the, the number of people off Nantucket who lost their lives getting those <laughs> whales, the number of whales who died to make us, you know, be able to read past sunset. I mean, and it really is know, incredible. Light bulb powered by coal at the time was a really good idea. Well, maybe we should stop building the coal. We still need the light bulb though. And, you know, it's sort of the the evolution of of progress in a sense, um, to more and more benign ways to to make our lives better. And and really, you know, the uh, crux of, you know, we look at it as the, the, the next battle for our generation is to do that with uh, zero carbon energy. Hey, Bob, I just want to tell you, like, uh, I appreciate you. And thanks for doing <laughs> this. 
like I don't mean to get cheesy and stuff like that, but you know, you 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 get to you know our age, you have kids, and you worry about the planet. You worry about the planet that you know they're going to inherit. And people like you and your team are busting your asses to save the goddamn planet. And I think that that's just tremendous. So well, thank you. And I'm sure you're toiling away, and nobody's saying anything to you. And there's no high fives, but. You know, we owe you a debt to do this. Like, this is important work, and you're hiring, correct? Oh yeah, definitely hiring. Um, and you know, it's a it's a really good time to to look at you know those types of of problems and say like, hey, mm. you know, what do I want to do after the pandemic? What am I going to go work on? And and we think energy is is certainly a fulfilling way to do it. Mm. I may want to put a million in this. I may want to put a million or two in this. When's the next round coming around? I may need uh. to. Get a put. Try to get my beak wet here, Bob. Put a couple of million in this. It make me feel sleep well at night, knowing I'm not just investing in apps. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're we're building the magnet now. So next, basically in June, we'll turn on the world's strongest magnet, and it's wow. twice what it was before. And at that point, is really the the go point to build the the Spark Tokamak, the Energy Fusion Tokamak, and we we got a. Uh, team ready to go. We got uh, mm. building pl building permits coming, and we're getting ready to do it. So it'll be something. That's got to be an interesting one when you show up at the building and you file your <laughs> stuff, and you're like, "Hey, um, I just here's my paperwork. I'm building a fusion reactor." And the person's like, "Okay, let me look that up." And there's no <laughs> yeah. page that says like what your requirements are for a fusion. <laughs> reactor. What happens when you submit a fusion reactor to City Hall? They, do they even know what to ask you? You, you typically talk to them first. <laughs> yeah, but do they That's understand? Not a cold call. <laughs> but well, they you know, they don't understand what you're building, right? Like this is the first time anybody's ever come and said, "Can I build a fusion reactor here?" The good news is we built so many of these before that you can come see them. So, like you know, the first oh, the thing you you've built before, right? So they're not scared to death. Yeah, yeah, you can actually come crawl over it at MIT, which is where we uh, yeah. the the previous record setter is that we evolved from. So you know, Amazing. we're not we're not doing things that are completely you know outside of a comic book. Um, <laughs> there's some grounding in reality here. When can I get one as an arc reactor to put in my chest like Iron Man and have <laughs> unlimited fuel source? Don't answer. Yeah, that. No, we don't need that. <laughs> we just need to get these server farms and these ships. You know, you know, and, and everything else off of it, and factories, etc. All right, listen, brother. Uh, congratulations! If, if there's a chance to invest in this, man, let me let me wet my beak because this would be a really great, great uh, uh, experience to be on the ride with you. Congratulations, and thank you. And we'll see you all next time on this week in startups. <laughs>